morning. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with this Saturday's edition of the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm here with my very special guest, Sarah Henderson. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Cheryl. How are you? I'm doing great. Sarah is a native Atlanta, lifelong Atlanta gardener extraordinaire, and I am thrilled to have you here. Um, I've heard you speak about many things, which you've done uh, over the years in Atlanta. Thanks so much for agreeing to be here with us this morning. Well, we I just appreciate your having me. Thank you so much. Right. And I, a lot of people in the South know Sarah as being past president of the American Hydrangea Society, the past president of the Georgia Perennial Plant Association, um, seen her on PBS, on Georgia Gardener, and on HGTV's A Gardener's Diary. But she definitely has a new role in Metro Atlanta, which is totally fascinating to me. So I'd kind of like to, we're going to get into that in just a little bit, but Let's try to get to know Sarah since she's, you know, graced us with her time today. Tell us just a little bit about how you got into gardening and a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, I'm an Atlanta native, as you said, and I kind of fell into garden gardening as a child with both an aunt and a grandfather who gardened, actually two aunts and a grandfather who gardened. And I firmly believe that you are more likely to learn from someone other than your parents because your parents tend to want you to do chores and the grandparents want you to do the fun things, and so you tend to pick up on that. But I had an aunt who did delphiniums, of all things, and another one who did dahlias. And my grandfather did camellias. And so I stayed closer to the camellia level, but I always kind of aspire for the others. That's amazing. I really, I agree with you. Um, Every guest says parents made them weed and dig Mm -hmm. and anybody else that influenced them. Let them do the fun thing. And I think the lesson there for Master Gardeners or anyone else that's working with children is make it fun because that's what will stick with the children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, your topics, um, hydrangeas, perennials, um, just uh, and your knowledge is astounding. And I kind of think that's why... You've gotten into the role that you are in now, and I can't wait to talk about this topic because it's so near and dear to my heart. Sarah is the director of the garden at Oakland Cemetery in Atlanta, Georgia, and Oakland is probably one of the coolest places in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's a turn of the century, pre-turn of the century, mid 1850s century um, cemetery. So how did you get to become so involved with Oakland? Let's just start talking about Oakland because it is so, there's so much to talk about. Oakland is a wonderful place and I came to it a little by accident, ended up on the board, developed the landscape committee there and that was about the time we needed to start planning phase two and the tornado came and all sorts of things developed and so it just kind of grew but oakland is such a magical place um 
it was founded in 1850. And what most people today don't realize is that was the height of the Victorian Garden Cemetery movement, which was coming out of Europe, but the idea was that cemeteries should be beautiful places for the living as well as for the dead. The graveyards, the churchyards were becoming full in many cities. You're talking about like the small family. I'm talking about the the one behind your church. Even the large churches, they were filling up because the cities were growing. Right. And they were realizing that this was not a sustainable model. But the churches wanted to be there for the long term for their families, but they couldn't get more land. I mean, it was particularly those that were still downtown. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And this whole movement was to buy rural land and make it appealing. And you could say this was the forerunner of our public parks concept because they did have festivals there. But the other thing was it was secular. So everyone was buried there, regardless of religion, race, economic status, whatever. It, it was, was for a melting everyone. pot. It, it was, was a melting pot for mm-hmm. our city. Exactly. And that's why one of our phrases is Oakland is Atlanta's most tangible link to our past because with all the damage of fire and war and so forth that happened to Atlanta, not to mention just our tendency towards urban renewal, a right. lot of our history has been lost. Uh, I tell you, I, w- I have goosebumps just thinking about the amount of history and how it has withstood the time yeah. and, you know, the yeah. Civil War, the burning, the urban sprawl, mm-hmm. the urbanization. It's just a little pocket of it is heaven, it, we're going to call it. Yeah. Um, heaven on earth mm-hmm. is the phrase we use. But the Victorians looked at cemeteries not only as parks, but as social places. And they would come most weekends, they would garden on their individual grave or plot Mm -hmm. and tell stories of the families, members that were living there now, so to speak. And this was a wonderful way to pass on the oral traditions of these families so that generations, you know, the children quickly learned who this grandparent was and what they had been interested in and so forth. What a concept that is so special Mm -hmm. to families. Yeah, and they would visit with their neighbors there. I mean, it was a social place. And so when we do things at Oakland, we try to remember that it was for the founders, for our, as we call them, residents, it was a social place. It was not the isolated way that we today look at cemeteries. We may go on birthdays or Easter or Christmas, but most people don't go on a regular basis, and with perpetual care, they almost never go to garden. So I think one of my favorite stories is a lot that's across from our bell tower, which is our main building, and it has a huge, magnificent magnolia on it. And the story is really quite touching to me. A woman was dying, and she knew she was dying. She had young children, and in those days, any number of things could have happened when you consider that there were no antibiotics. Right. A right. small burn, childbirth, anything right. could cause this. And her best friend and next door neighbor was helping her take care of the children and her husband and so forth. And towards the end she asked this friend to please continue taking care of my children. You know, help out you know, mm-hmm. I'm counting on you kind mm-hmm. of as any of us might do to a friend. And of course the friend did and as one might imagine she ended up marrying the widower and they had that a long, happens it did it 
frequently. For a lot of reasons. And in those days, men did not know anything to speak of about the household. They needed A wife was a very important team member for a household. Still is, but in a much more delineated fashion than today. Correct. And um, they did. They had a long and happy marriage. But she brought the children to the cemetery every week or frequently, I don't know that it was every week, to garden the lot. And she would tell them stories of their mother so that they would remember who she was. And we have a letter that she wrote about planting that magnolia tree there. And so we knew it was probably full sun when they gardened it, and now it's heavy, heavy shade with magnolia roots. So we can't garden it the same way. Right. But every time we work on that lot, I think of those two women and kind of their bond that transcended death because her friend kept telling the stories. You know, that is something, you know, I want to go back just to clarify perpetual care. I know you guys are listeners are smart and you know perpetual care is the new trend in cemeteries it is um kind of the low maintenance cemetery where they come in and just cut the grass and mow and blow mow and blow edge around the tombstones or the markers and people are really not allowed to add anything to it their makes cemetery. It makes their work harder. Exactly. And actually, it's not that new. It started with Westview here in Atlanta, which was the cemetery that was formed when Oakland was sold out, basically. But it was formed in 1884, and they had newspaper articles. We will not make the same mistake that Oakland made. Oh, you're kidding. This is interesting. They didn't a little necessarily kid-back. call it perpetual care, but the idea was maybe more what we would now call an endowment. Right. But um, Oakland was sold fee simple, so okay. there was no money put aside. Okay. But Westview has become a beautiful cemetery. It is. It's probably second, obviously, to Oakland, but it that's very interesting that they just kind of wanted to make a change they saw that this was a problem right right you had to have money and of course look at the dates that's 1884 so that's post-civil war and it's just my belief we'll never be able to prove it but i think the reason we have lost a lot of our families is they left when atlanta was evacuated and they may have gone to stay with family and stayed there or whatever but they didn't come back to tend the cemetery a lot of them did do you think it's you know, you're talking about moved permanently out of Atlanta. And Maybe not intentionally, but if you're, you know, if you were forced out of the city, you were a widow, you had young children, and your house was not going to be there when you came back and all, and you got to right. say your aunt's home. Right. You might very well put right. down roots. Yeah, that 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 really makes sense. And they, you know, in reading the history, they were talking about how. It was such a special place to the family members to go back. But then, you know, I was thinking it was a little bit later in history that people started moving on and well, trending out of because, Atlanta. You know, cemetery styles changed and our attitude towards death, we started to want to put it in a box. Mm-hmm. and not face it as much as the Victorians mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. And some of that came from the fact that medicine got better and death wasn't as commonplace. Right. And so. people, you, I, I, and I also think this is a topic that as people, medicine gets better, people live longer lives, and then it's expected. But, you know, when you're, you know, 
25-year-old mother passes away, like the story you told mm-hmm. about the magnolia, I mean, that's going to be in your face, you know, the rest of your life. It's not like, you know, losing like right. an elderly grandparent. How big is Oakland? Oakland, all told, is 48 acres. Wow. So that's it is a big large. chunk of change in metro Atlanta and downtown yes, it Atlanta. Is, I think, our second largest green space. Wow. Okay. So, so second, I guess. Second or third. I, I'm not absolutely certain of that. But there's Piedmont and Grant and Oakland, and I'm not sure exactly okay. where we fall okay. in there. So the Victorian style, the Garden Cemetery, how many people are interred there? Approximately 70,000. Wow. Okay. So, so there are quite a few. Okay. So let me tell you, ask you one question. Um, my friend said that. She and her husband, they they have two spaces, the Chapman family, mm-hmm. then they are going to be buried at Oakland. Mm-hmm. So does that happen very often oh, anymore? Yes. Oh, so, yes. We have about 15 burials a year. If you own property, if your family has a lot there and there's space, I mean, it's your space. So that would be how they most likely have it. Um, in fact, we had a burial just yesterday. Okay. So, so. if you're allowed... To um, let's take a little quick break, Sarah, and come back with this because I want to kind of figure out exactly how that works. We're going to be right back with the Master Gardener Hour. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At bonnieplants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning again. This is Cheryl Linker, and I am here with my guest, Sarah Henderson, and we are talking about Oakland Cemetery. Um, Oakland is such an important place to Atlanta. It became, um, it was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1976. So, Sarah, let's talk a little bit about that and kind of go into, um, talk about the gardens there and what you do as the garden director at Oakland. Okay. Well, Oakland's foundation, Historic Oakland Foundation, which is a friends group, was founded in 1976 which was the same year that it was put on the register. Okay. And their goal, the mission there is to, um, they we partner with the city of Atlanta to preserve, restore, enhance, and share Oakland Cemetery. So while we are a historic site and we have beautiful architecture, art, history, everything, we 
also are a city of Atlanta Park, always have been, and we are a cemetery to our families. Do the gates close? Is it sun up to sundown? Basically. Like most exactly. of our parks? Okay. Basically. And free 365 days out of the year. Okay. But remembering that there are those three components of it means that we are trying to do the gardens to please everyone. We do try to stay as close to the historic norm as we could. Victorians were avid gardeners. They, I mean, think of the Wardian cases and all of that. We have pictures from Oakland with banana trees and, you know, extensive bedding out, you know, gardens of annuals and so forth on different lots. From more the 18 or 1900 to 1910, we kind of target the Victorian period primarily, but we do not do it absolutely accurately because both our families and the public would not be comfortable with the areas that would need to be left unmown and things like that if we were truly... Truly to the era. Yeah, because okay. let's face it, lawnmowers were coming in, but they were very expensive, and you wouldn't ha- have just taken one to the yeah. cemetery. They're more into the ground covers yeah. and, you know... Well, they didn't use ground covers. They used they bedding didn't? out, okay, which is so interesting. Explain bedding out. Um Think Versailles, very formal okay. geometric shapes with colored annuals and okay, okay. things like that. Okay, got it, got it. Um, there's a book that I find very interesting. It's a resource book, but Liberty Hyde Bailey's Cyclopedia of American Horticulture, and he did it about the turn of the century. And it's very interesting to read some of the entries, like, you know, how they use cactus because they didn't think any of them were hardy, so they grew them in containers and brought them inside. And, you know, just different things like that that you learn when you study right, right. these period works instead of just how we interpret Well, that's when, today. you know, the, the glass houses first came yeah. into favor. So and they Oakland, probably had a lot of, didn't they have a glass house? Oakland's greenhouse was the first greenhouse in Atlanta. Okay. I, and, in fact, right now we are looking to possibly restore it if we can raise the funds to do so. Wow. So that would be, you know, that's several years down the road, I'm sure, but it would be a wonderful thing to do and to interpret the carriage house and stable area that it's a part of so that people could really get a sense of what it was like then, you know. Well, I can tell you one thing. The roads, the trails, the paths through Oakland, even though you're allowed to take automobiles on some of the roads, they are very narrow because cars are. are not what they were when the roads were built. And cars are much wider than horses. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Granted, there were cars. Yeah, I think but, I think I got um, yelled at for uh, hitting a, uh, a rock wall in Oakland. Um, so... Oakland garden director, what what do you do every day? What's your job? It varies from day to day. I couldn't tell you from one day to the next. Um, a little bit of everything from planting the garden, sourcing the plants, working on writing grants or raising money, um, helping with the historic records. You know, as a historic site, we try to keep track of everything that's planted and where it came from and where it's going and, you know, the stories. Um, uh, Sarah showed me a diagram of um, the plots there and planting, and there were so many, there were a lot of unknowns on there. So it's tough to track down those, uh, you know, I mean, 
Some of the, like just for example, the irises. Yeah. How old do you think they are? I mean, they're, are they a hundred year old irises? Well, how old is? I mean, I'm not sure what you mean yeah. by how old. When they were introduced, some of them introduced could be. What? When they were planted at Oakland, we probably planted them because during the 60s and 50s, 60s and 70s, most of our plant material was cleared away, just as you were talking about perpetual care. The city maintained it. They did their absolute best. I'm not criticizing them, but pure, you know, financial constraints mean they, that they were just have doing to move, maintenance. They, they have to move as gardening. quickly as they could to protect, you know, the headstones and such. And the plants, nobody thought much of the plants then. Yeah, that kind of brings back like a. I grew up in Atlanta. That brings back a childhood memory of of the 50s in Atlanta, and um, my family would go there. Mm-hmm. Just to go to Oakland, and I truly don't remember as a child, even though I grew up, you know, with a mother and grandmother and two farmers, grandfathers in Georgia. I don't remember even paying attention to the plants there because the statuary and you know the monuments there were so interesting and so cool that they you are. just spent the time. You know, going around and looking at everything. I get lost doing that now when I'm out there supposedly doing something else. You know, an epitaph will catch my eye or, you know, mm-hmm. something will just attract yeah. me and I'll be off on a few minutes of daydreaming and thinking about that. But the beauty of the statuary, the architecture, the stained glass windows. I mean, it, mm-hmm. from an art and architecture standpoint, there is so much beauty. From a history, it's just intriguing at a level that I can't. Explain. Right, right. You know, statuary. I mean, are there some famous designers' statuary there from across? You know, from... not that I know of. Okay, but there is certainly some beautiful work there. I mean, it's it's there's stuff there that you could see in any museum in the world. I mean, really, really gorgeous things to see. Yeah, it is beautiful. Oakland is simply exquisite. There's no way around it. So who who are your biggest supporters of Oakland? <sighs> a little bit of everybody. We have, you know, if you mean financially, we have corporate supporters. We have foundations that have given us money. Um, those, of course, are the large amounts of money. But even the visitor who comes by our visitor center and, you know, puts $5 in the fishbowl, so to speak. I think Everybody they understand. Helps. Yeah, they, they realize yeah. that this is something that is well worth maintaining. And, you know, then there are the volunteers who put in thousands of hours each year. And that's not direct cash, but it's money we don't have to pay someone Absolutely. to maintain. So it's Absolutely. just as important. The volunteerism um, is key to Oakland. Now, so you are you know, the director of gardens. So do you work with various volunteer agencies coordinating their work days and what you, do you plan their work? Yes. Okay. Um, Wow. That's a big job. We do have some part-time people, some Mm -hmm. very dedicated people who do work in the gardens on a regular basis. Um, Some are volunteers. We have a couple that are actually paid Mm-hmm. Um, we have to have that backbone. We wish we could have them more, but it's a financial right, issue. Right. But we literally couldn't do it without our volunteers. And we have everything from landscape industry professionals who are truly the backbone of our 
those in master gar- experienced gardeners. They mm-hmm. don't have to be mm-hmm. professionals. We all know that. But um, those are the backbones. Those are our regulars. And we've got about 30 of those, and we can always use more. You know, if somebody wants to. But we are also happy to have volunteers who know absolutely nothing. We will put them with someone who knows something. It's a great way to learn some basic gardening skills. Well, as a master gardening, this is the Master Gardener Hour, and I have seen um, opportunities at Oakland that are led by professionals, i.e. master gardeners or professional landscapers, that you can go down there and actually have an educational opportunity and learn how to prune and learn different aspects of what is involved with the gardening process at Oakland. Now, they're only going to learn what we're doing that day. Exactly. So it's not like a course with a set schedule. It's the schedule of the season. Yeah, what needs doing, but we do have great team leaders. What we do is we have one of these um, regular volunteers, our backbone volunteers, and we put them with somewhere between ten and about twelve other volunteers, and they have a list of things to take care of that day. And so they'll go out and they'll teach the skills needed, so that this team can together get it all done. So most appropriate planting seasons, you'll learn how to plant. You'll learn how to do some light pruning, identify some of the most noxious weeds, just basic good gardening practices. Okay, this is a side. Do you have any weird weeds that are not found anywhere else? Not that I know of. Okay, good. I didn't know if they... <laughs> you scare me with that. I didn't, I didn't know if they came, you know, like if they hung out in Oakland because there was some old weed that... No, our most it. noxious weed is vetch, and I think any gardener will yeah, agree that that okay. is just a noxious weed. That's crazy. That is really crazy. Um, you know, it's... We could go through and we could spend, you know, two hours and Sarah could intricately describe some of the various plots and different, you know, highlights of the garden. But we have to talk about a few that are like your personal favorites or either the most, you know, for some reason, just to kind of give people a really flair of how cool the gardens are. Well, so let's let's just pick a couple. I can't really say which is my favorite. It would be like asking which is my favorite child. But I will try to give you an idea of two extremes, shall we say. One that is a very intricate high Victorian and one that would be more reflective of some a family that was maybe not as economically challenged okay. or okay. economically ge- Blessed. Mm -hmm. Um, We try to figure out where we do this based on the tombstones because they're our only primary reference. We have about six photographs over 48 acres. They're really very little help as far as designing. So we have to get our heads into the Victorian, you know, mind, and we use the tombstones as a clue. The very high Victorian one I'm thinking about has an exquisite European angel statue that's probably about eight feet tall on a tall column. Very obviously that family loved detail and beauty and so forth. So around it we have a uh, three ovals linked together of boxwood parterre. We have white flowers in each of those ovals 
to reflect the season. We have boxed um, small crepe myrtles in the back corners, a very formal laid out plan that bespeaks the elegance and so forth. Yeah, that matches. Sarah, we're going to have to take a quick break from the Master Gardener Hour, and we will be right back with America's Web Radio. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Ganeau. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with my very special guest, Sarah Henderson, who is the garden director at Oakland Cemetery in Atlanta, Georgia. And we're talking about a very unique, special Victorian cemetery. And we're talking about kind of how, in Sarah's position, she's kind of recreating her interpretation and her um, volunteers' interpretation of the difference in a like high Victorian formal type reenactment of their garden or either more or less a country, I call it a country garden or a simpler... A grandmother's garden. A grandmother's garden. Yes. Okay, so... You know, I just covered the um, very formal high Victorian type style. Right. There are other ways of doing it, but that's the one that comes to mind. But we also realize that not everyone was that affluent or had those, you know, had workers or access to the plants or whatever. So we also try to think a lot about a more vernacular garden. 
We use a lot of roses. We know from even articles in the paper that there were roses, lilies, all of these things used at Oakland. But we tend to think a lot about the pass-along plants because we can very much imagine grandmother passing away and the daughter rooting a cutting from her favorite rose and taking it to the cemetery to plant on the grave or digging bulbs from the house that she had lived in and taking them to the cemetery and those would have evolved much like our less formal very personal cottage gardens or farm gardens or whatever so we try to reflect that as well as the very formal and then of course starting in about the 1950s styles changed it went to turf maybe a few corner plantings some very basic plantings so we also have modern plantings because oakland is not set in time it's still if you will a living cemetery right 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 as you said i mean there was a burial there yesterday so life and death continue and garden styles absolutely change over time exactly and even within a family it evolves So we kind of look at the tombstones and look at the dates and try to pick the dominant period. And, you know, very quickly, if the burials were all 1800s, we know we've got Victorian. Right. If we're getting into the mid-20th century, we kind of look and go, well, did they replicate the older monuments when they put new ones in, or did they go to a more modern, I hate to use the word severe, but you know what I mean, very Mm -hmm. linear without the scroll work and the symbolism and all. If they tried to copy, that's a clear clue that that's what they liked. But we just... We try to pick up on the clues. Yeah, and and also when somebody comes in in the 40s and the 50s, they might not have access to... They may like the Victorian or whatever, but if you don't have access to the... Or they may not be gardeners. Grandmother may have been a gardener, but they're not a gardener. Exactly. So it's very hard to know for sure we just do our best and i had a wonderful team that helped with the design and it was wonderful because we all worked together which let us try to make each lot individual because it would have been it wouldn't have been one style throughout okay i have to say sarah is the most one of the most detailed people that I know, and for her to say that to go and take a 48-acre cemetery, and I know they only work on their part of it, but just to verbalize that she wants to make them special is really endearing, and you got to really appreciate that work that you've done for that cemetery because that's really important. Because if the families aren't around, have moved on, I don't know. I just, it's kind of like you have to keep it going, and that's a special person that has your job. Well, thank you so much, but I have to stop you and say that it's not just me. I know. I it's been lots of wonderful people. But the idea that you want to keep those personalized is really cool. Mm-hmm. It, it really well, is a great. That's what tells our story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um And you know something that kind of transcends the personal gardens that I do want to talk about? are the incredible trees in Oakland. They're gorgeous, and um, I'm just, like, shocked how many there are and how old and how big and, you know, what an impact they make on that green space. They do. Well, Oakland, when it was formed, was called City Cemetery or Atlanta Cemetery, and it was later renamed Oakland, and there For was a, good a reason. Re- good reason. The, many of the few photographs we have show... 
it, it, well, it was farmland when it was purchased. Yeah, that was interesting. So I mean, it, it was, was it open. Was, there it, would have been almost no trees there. They didn't come in and clear cut a forest and no, build Oakland. No, it was, it like was rolling farmland. pastures, and, and you know, and it was several farms. So, I mean, we call one area Hogpen Corner because it literally was called that all along because it had been a hog farm. Farm. No reflection on the people who were there. It was this predated mm-hmm. the cemetery. But back to the trees. The early pictures, you'll even see pictures of early burials. They seem to have a thing of taking a picture of everyone gathered at the grave with all the flowers laid out. And by the way, folks, if you have any pictures from Oakland, please send them to us or at least scan them and send me a thing because we have very few. But what we can see is that it was open. It was hot, blistering sun, and you see little saplings that have been planted. You can see the twigs all over. And a few years later, you see them a little bigger. And if you think about it, the Victorians not only love plants, but they visited the cemetery a lot. Atlanta, in the heat of the summer, in Victorian heavy garb, would have been a miserable place to come every week. And, the, and Yeah, and you don't get to escape and go yeah. turn on your car and get in it and turn the AC on your on a horse and carriage yeah. at this time. If you were a man, you probably had on a black hat. Wow. And if you were a lady and were lucky, you had a parasol, but it might very well have been black. If you were a widow, it would have been black up to the chin, down to the wrists, mm. and down to the floor. You would have been miserable in 98-degree heat. No way around it. So we know they planted trees. They also loved plants, so they planted trees. Did the individual people plant the trees, or did the city plant the trees? Both. Okay. Um, The individual um, saplings that I'm speaking of were largely planted by the families. They were planted on the lots. Right. But the city also planted some what we would call street trees. Primarily water oaks. They were planting them throughout Atlanta at that point. And they're magnificent oaks that grow very quickly. The problem with that is they also reach maturity and start declining much faster than many other oaks. And so we've lost quite a few of them. Okay. Okay. But, you know, that's just the way it is. We will not be replanting water oaks because they're too short-lived, and when they do start to decline, they drop branches, which is dangerous for our visitors and dangerous for our monuments. Those branches have done unbelievable damage. So it's something we would love to go back with more street trees but we'll use what what are you going to use what well the area planted? that we've replanted we actually used a mixture of northern and southern red oaks northern and southern red which just okay. somehow another seemed that's perfect you know appropriate but we also are developing an arboretum and one of the f- groups that we're focusing on are are, are oaks so we do have a wide diversity in our collection of oaks Okay, so you're, is Oakland an Arboretum, certified Arboretum at this point, or you're working toward that? It depends on how you mean certified. Basically, Arboretum, by definition, it's, is a place of well, woody plants to be studied. Right. So, so obviously it's there because yeah. you have the diversity right. in your trees. Yeah, our inventory of woody plants a couple of years ago was over 1,400 specimens. Wow, that's a lot. Now, that's not individual varieties. Right, that's right, right. Spec- and that's cemetery-wide, not just the restored areas. Okay, okay. So um, the when we're talking about the length of um, life for the live oak, you know, when you lose trees there or have to take trees down, it does impact the gardening. How do you deal with that as far as having, you know, 
shade one day and sun the next. I mean, well, just like any other gardener, sometimes I have to dig it up and move it. Okay, so you'll re- resource yeah. the plants. Remember what I said about the city having removed most of the plant material. Right, right. Okay. So what we have is not necessarily historic fabric. Now, right, if something, right, right. if we think something is historic fabric, we will do our dead level best to leave it there. Okay. But sometimes we have to move it. In fact, I just recently wrote a blog for our website about moving a huge boxwood that probably was planted about 1890. Wow. Well, the grave it was near was 1891. It could have been any time later, but it was probably our largest boxwood. And it had to be moved because the family needed the grave site. Oh, it, wow. You know, it wasn't That's just that they didn't want it. They wanted it. But they were wonderful partners with us. They gave us the time and all of that to get it moved to a new home where we hope it will settle in. But it took, well, it didn't take cranes, but it took hoists and bobcats and a team of volunteers digging it. And it, it's an amazing story. Wow, that's interesting. That's scary to move something that valuable and that you want to hang on to. Well, it and was, but on the other hand, we knew that if we didn't at least try, it was definitely going to get cut down and dug out. So, it's, so, so you gave it your best shot. Exactly. That's that's really good. Um. The plants there, um, I don't know. I guess a lot of people have read uh, the language of flowers and know about the symbolism and what different flowers represent. Have have you guys um, really embraced that and tried <laughs> to figure out what well, where people were coming from yes when they we were have to... but we don't do it from the books and right. the joke with the victorians was if you were sending a bouquet to someone make sure she was reading from the same book because you might send the wrong message oh there, I, I like that line. there is a lot of contradiction so if you good. look at the various period books like you know what else is i'll uh, just as crazy but it's like your birthstone. Mm-hmm. If you have a birthstone of, you know, one month, one book says it's one stone, one says another. So flowers yeah. are the same. Yeah, and even if it's similar, one book might say that it's enduring and the other might say it's stubborn. And the young lady receiving that message might look at it very differently. But when it comes to resurrection, all there's some, you know, pretty standard symbolisms, lilies, roses, ivy, rosemary, things like that. And they're often carved into the tombstones. And some are absolutely exquisite relief carvings. And so where we find those, we try to mimic those to plants. bring those plants in because we assume that the family loved them or loved the message. But of course, cultural conditions come into play also. We can't put a lily in the deep shade. Right, right, et cetera. right, right, right. Well, one that I was reading about was that I never thought about um, were the weeping cultivars of plants. Right. So is that... We use a lot of weeping forms because they were popular with the cemeteries. We also use a lot of fastidious forms because it was like the obelisk that pointed to heaven. Oh, that's interesting. So they weren't necessarily specifically used for cemeteries, but they did carry the same meanings, and they brought in the Victorian love of weird strange plants. Right, right. So I like it. The weeping plants depict sorrow and your linear plants are right straight to heaven. We're going to take a quick break from this Saturday's edition of the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio and be right back. 
When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with my very special guest, Sarah Henderson, on the Master Gardener Hour. And we are talking about Oakland Cemetery, a beautiful Victorian cemetery in Atlanta, Georgia. Sarah is the garden director, and how long have you had that job? I've actually had that job for a little over two years, but I've been doing that job for six years before that. And as she a probably she probably volunteered and did it, you know, to the same obviously the same caliber as she does now. But in your six years, what is the most challenging project that you've worked on at Oakland? Well, it's actually the newest one we're working on. Oh, that's Which is unusual. Okay, but we that are, is unusual. Our restoration is in phases. We're currently in phase three, which is the original six acres, the first piece of ground. But we're already starting to look at phase four. And part of that is the area where Bobby Jones is buried, the golfer who many of you know was the great... Uh, the founder of the Masters. You got it. Okay, and that's guys, where it you comes You all guys in. all across the country. I know you count. It's April, folks. Yeah. And the azaleas are blooming. Yes. But... <laughs> Bobby is one of our most visited residents. He and Margaret Mitchell are the two. There are a lot of golf balls on his grave. Yes, and Masters Week, we get everything, from scorecards to shoes to golf clubs. I mean, it's amazing how many golfers still make a pilgrimage. Wow. But that area is the next one on our radar for restoration. And what we have decided to do there from a gardening standpoint is to interpret Augusta National and its relation to Fruitlands Nursery and Fruitlands Nursery's impact on horticulture in the Victorian period because they were one of the most dominant nurseries definitely in the southeast, but they shipped throughout the country. Okay, tell us a little bit about Fruitland, because I don't even know that nursery. Well, in a nutshell, it was formed by a family of plant lovers, and it was primarily focused on fruiting plants, but they also had a large ornamental area. It was run by the Berkman family. Is it a Georgia? Yeah, it was. um, It is where Augusta... 
Uh, when Bobby Jones went out with others to pick out the land, he picked out the land that had been Fruitland's Nursery. Got it. In okay. part because of the plantings that were already there. Oh, my goodness. And it was such a that. beautiful okay. property and had such perfect topography for what he wanted. Perfect. So we will be interpreting that. And what's been challenging wow. about it is going back in time and finding the old catalogs to see what it is that they actually were growing. And that's a little easier because of the resources here, the um, Cherokee Garden Library at the Atlanta right. History Center. But then taking those names, and Master Gardeners, you'll understand this, those were names from the turn of the century or the early 1900s. They went out of business. I think it's 1913. So the nomenclature has changed a lot. And common names have definitely yeah, we are changed about that a lot. Day, so. so I spend a lot of time trying to find old books and look it up, figure out what year that book was, find a slightly newer book and see if it's cross-referenced. I mean, it's just a lot of them you know, obviously. But it's going to be great fun sourcing the old roses, the old camellias, the things like that that they had and are listed by variety some of which we already have. They're still in the trade, but others are going to be much harder to find. But I will tell you there's one plant that Fruitlands is well known for that you will not see me planting. And what is that? Privet. Oh, they, there we go. There they we go. introduced privet to the United States. And now I must confess we still have some privet hedges. And it's one of the few things that we do protect. We jokingly say we have the only federally protected privet in the nation. Oh, my goodness. But it is a historic property. Our historic fabric has as much right, standing. Right. But uh, before everyone comes and lynches me, we do our best to shear it both before and after blooming so that it's not seeding all over the place. Yeah, we, I tell you something. We're going to let her get away with that, and we're not going to say anything. But the... So this, okay, so this is, how many acres is this new part where Bobby Jones is? It's a little less than an acre. Okay, so you're going to recreate it with all these cool camellias, azaleas. Which are what would have been available to the Victorians. I mean, everybody ordered from Fruitlands, or if they didn't. You know, their neighbor did and gave them cuttings, or if there happened to be a nursery that they went to, it probably, you know, they Fruitland had a wholesale division also. That is going to be, that's so, fun. It that, is fun, but I it's can also tell by challenging. The look, I can tell by the look in Sarah's yes, eyes. I'm very excited about she's it. She's excited about this. And that will kick off as soon as we can get the fundraising done. You so. know what? You need to hit up the golfing world to recreate this because I have a feeling there are a lot of really rich golfers out there <laughs> that might want to help restore where the King of Kings, Bobby Jones, is buried. Well, That's really special. If any of them are listening, they're welcome to get in touch That's with us. That's really special. We would love to have it. But which we want to do it to show respect for him, but also to speak of our heritage, which does, of course, predate his story. Yeah, so. and I think that I did not, I really, I mean, I'm a Georgia girl. I did not know. Somehow, in the back of my mind, Fruitland sounds like, vaguely like the grandparents used to i don't know that sounds vaguely familiar but i did not know that that was the property that augusta national is built on that's good to know that's good to know so that's keeping you busy so what else is what else to in our last segment do you want to talk to 
our listeners about and, you know, just get out there to the country about Oakland Cemetery. Well, come visit us. That's the main thing. We are a place for the living. It is not a place just for the dead, as most people think of cemeteries. Tell us about your website and tell us some of the crazy things. Now, I say crazy, the fun, enjoyable family things that you do there that are promoted okay. there. Well, the website is www.oaklandcemetery.com. Not very difficult. Mm-hmm. But just remember that we're in Georgia, not in California. Right. But... Um, so you can get lots of information. You can see lots of pictures there. We do regular guided tours every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Um, the tours, we actually have four tours a day um, at 10, 2, 4, and at 6.30 we do a specialty tour. The first three are our overview tour, and they're Saturday and Sunday. And then on Saturday evening and Sunday evening, I think, you could check on the website, pardon me, but um, we do specialty tours of which there are over 15 that deal with everything from golf to baseball to death and dying to love stories to any way you can interpret what our residents' lives meant and the impact they had on the city. Women, you know, it's just, it's amazing. And our tour guides are wonderful. So we definitely encourage you doing that. Um... Or just come and browse. If you're not in Atlanta, follow us on Facebook or whatever if you're interested. But if you can come, we also do have, as you said, many special events, one of which is coming up on uh, June 14th, which is Tunes from the Tombs. Tunes from the Tombs. It's a music festival. I love it. Um, Low-key, family-oriented, but again... As I think I said earlier, we have photographs of festivals in Oakland during Victorian times. So we know that this was... um, You're just recreating history. Exactly. And it is one of the ways we can raise money for our work in restoration and also keep us relevant for the current day citizens of Atlanta. We are a city park. We are a resource to the neighborhood. Um, and this neighborhood, the a neighborhood around Oakland, is it's really got a lot going on. All kinds of small, little, little teeny neighborhoods all joined together in downtown it, Atlanta. And it's grow. It well, not growing. It's there. It's landlocked, but it is revitalizing Absolutely. at an unbelievable rate. Um, another event that we have that is probably our most popular are Halloween tours. Oh, absolutely. And we, People love that. Every That's year we have five or six of our residents come back to life by candlelight and tell their stories. Oh, that's cool. So it's not a haunted house kind of Halloween tour. It's got a good dose of history in it, but it's basically at its heart also great fun. And the tickets go on sale in July, and people start buying them the first day because they come back every year because we change the the residents every year. Okay. You might see Margaret Mitchell come back a couple of times or Bobby, but you aren't going to see most of them. When you have festivals, I know this, you know, I'm kind of technical and weird, but when you, I know when you're gardening in the, um, at Oakland, obviously you're going to be walking in and amongst where the actual graves are because the plants are on top of the graves. When you have your festivals and all these other things, do people kind of like walk all over the graves or they stay on the roads or how does that work? 
I guess the answer is yes and no. Okay. Our visitors for the festivals are amazingly respectful. Okay. okay. They are having a good time, but we can have several thousand people there and find less than four or five pieces of litter. I mean, it is just That's amazing. amazing. That's really great. Um, they do walk on the grave some. Uh, we all do. But again, remember, for the Victorians, that was not the taboo that it is today. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we don't get quite as concerned about it. But as I say, most of them stay off the actual yeah, graves it, and I mean, in the more common areas. Yeah, this is a big piece of property. But that, that's so interesting. So that festival, um, music, and then to recreate history there. Who are some of the um, famous people that are interred there that people are interested in? Well, of course, Margaret Mitchell is our number one most visited grave. Oh, absolutely. Um, Bobby Jones would be number two, but we also have five Civil War generals. We have quite a few Atlanta mayors, many of our governors. Business leaders. leaders any it, You see many names that were street names or neighborhood names. You have to delve into the history sometimes to understand it, but even the stories of some of the, if you will, lesser prominent people are just... Right. Intriguing, and they tell the story of Atlanta. Yeah, and it's 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 very it's it's gorgeous, and I urge you to get involved if this is something that you're interested in, from a gardening standpoint and or historical yeah. standpoint. Because Sarah could use the help. Yeah, I could use the help as a volunteer. I could use the help if you have. Say, irises are on my mind right now. It's April, but if you have old dog-eared iris. If you would even mail me a few rhizomes, it's always welcome because we're trying to add diversity. All of these families would have had different things, and I think it's that's hard just, to find. It's, it's so special, and it's got to be really endearing when a family member comes back out of the blue after years and locates their loved one's grave and sees what a beautiful job you guys have done maintaining it. They've got to be thrilled. We have had some of the most lovely notes. They tend to come on the weekends when the offices are closed, so they'll leave notes behind in the visitor center or write us later. Sometimes we're really lucky and we're there and we do get to meet them, but we have some wonderful families. That's neat. That's neat. Oakland Cemetery in Atlanta, um, I would just urge you to look it up on the Internet. Sarah, it's been a pleasure having you here, and I really appreciate you spending your valuable time with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You guys, listen to America's Web Radio, the Master Gardener Hour. Have a great week, and be safe. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.